Mindfulness mode. What does it mean to be fully present, fully in connection with this, uh, with the universe? Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show once again. Today we're here to talk about being happy because we have the chief experience officer and co-founder of happy.me and that's happy with two Y's, happy.me. And it's a mental health company that's on a mission to improve people's happiness by providing guided ketamine therapy and digital wellness programs. And uh, he's a digital entrepreneur, he's a serial entrepreneur. He has two successful exits. He was the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Psychable. And there's so much more I could say about him and you'll learn about him as you listen. Matt Zeman. Matt, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am totally in mindfulness mode today. Yes, I had a lovely meditation this morning and I'm going to have a meditation here another hour and a half. And Great. yeah, that's definitely awesome. in mindfulness mode. So what does mindfulness mean to you, Matt? You know, it's funny, actually, as soon as I said I had a meditation earlier and one coming up, I realized that that was probably not the best definition of mindfulness for me. The uh, mindfulness for me is is just awareness, is, is being more present in the in the here and now and not living in either a uh, a past or a future that is both fantasy which is very easy for me to do yeah yeah well you have a very interesting book that's fairly new on on amazon and the book is called psychedelics for everyone a beginner's guide to these powerful medicines for anxiety depression addiction ptsd and expanding consciousness. It's got 74 really impressive reviews on Amazon. So what brought you to this place where you decided to write a book on psychedelics? You know, so I had, back in 2019, I had my first psychedelic experience. Up, up until that point, I was not a, uh, not a drug user, not a big drinker, and just had this uh, incredibly transformational experience where I was able to reconnect with my mom who died when she was 49. Um, I was able to just have insight after insight. And I wanted, as soon as I came out of the experience, it's like I needed to know more. And I dove into a master's program in uh, psychology and neuroscience. And wow. um, yeah, really a deep dive. And I wanted to take all the things I was learning, both about psychedelics as a whole, but then about kind of the eight most common medicines that are used and put them in a way that was accessible for the common person, um, but then also have all those chapters medically reviewed so that they could count on the information, but not written for someone with a medical background. And um, I felt like it was not hard, but there's just so much information that uh, to, to parse through that I could consolidate it down into a, a few hundred pages that would be easier to digest for people. Wow. Well, that's a lot of changes to happen. And I, I find it interesting because I've read that sometimes it's important to hold off. If you have an experience with some of these drugs that you'll, you'll get off that experience and you'll want to change so many things in your life, but yet it's maybe important to just take it slow and easy. Did you have that advice as well? Yeah, I think that is, that's really good advice that people should not make major life changes for a few weeks or month after a major psychedelic experience. Um, and I think the integration process, so what, 
let me back up for just a moment. When I talk about psychedelics, a lot of times people think they are cures, and I don't, I don't position them that way. I think they're catalysts. I think they're they're ways to open your mind that then can lead to different uh, changes in your habits, changes in a way of living. Um, and that whole process following the psychedelic experience is what we call integration. So having someone to work with, whether it's a coach like you, Bruce, or a, a licensed therapist, that the, the licensure is not as important as having somebody who understands um, mindfulness, understands, um, can help the, the inner power to, to heal and can help you extract for yourself what you saw and how you want that to impact the rest of your life. Um, so yeah, I did make a, a, a bunch of changes, but I, it wasn't within minutes. It was within months and, and years. Sure, sure. Well, on your website, uh, it has a question. And I find this very interesting. It says, antidepressants and talk therapy not helping? And then you go on to say, you know, that you can possibly overcome anxiety, depression, suffering in different ways uh, through some things that you might find there. And then you've got the word happy with two Y's and accents over the two Y's. What does that mean? Why does why are there two Y's on the end of the word happy? So with happy, we were going to uh, to make them look like people. So we wanted to, the two the the I's and the Y's are kind of touching each other and 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 all of that. The um, but let's talk about antidepressants and and kind of how the how we are what we what the mainstream thinks about. So we think. To up until recently, the only option has been an antidepressant. And we know that they work in maybe 40% of the population. And even when they work, the side effect profile is, is pretty tough. I mean, everything from gastrointestinal issues, weight gain, um, memory fog, suicidal ideation, sexual dysfunction, really heavy price tag. But when yeah. you don't have a choice... People are willing to try this. Um, mm -hmm. It also takes upwards of six weeks to get into your system. Yeah. And then and for many people, because most people are prescribed from a general practitioner instead of a psychiatrist, it's kind of set it and forget it. They get their medicine. And instead of being for an episode, three, six months, it becomes for a year or a decade. And... Um, and then coming off of them becomes really, really challenging. So what most people don't know is there is a legal alternative in the psychedelic space called ketamine. And people can go to their psychiatrist or go to their doctor and get this prescribed. And they can through use ketamine and then go into a clinic and get an inter intravenous or intramuscular. Then go to a clinic and get uh, a nasal spray. Or they can work with companies like Happy and there's a number of others that provide these um, sublingual or oral tablets that go under your tongue. You do this at home and you have about a one hour ketamine experience in your house. Um, the efficacy on ketamine is, is pretty tremendous and it doesn't come with those side effects. So one of the things I'm just, I question, I wonder is should people go to antidepressants first or would ketamine be a, a better place to start because the side effects are so so less comparatively. Um, and for those who are on antidepressants and would like to try so, and they're not working for them, then just trying to help spread the word that ketamine might be an option for them and it's something to go talk with your doctor about. 
Okay. Um, one just quick thing while we're on this, I, I just want to uh -huh. be ketamine is in the world of psychedelics. Most psychedelics are not addictive. Ketamine has been shown to have addictive uh, potential. So I just bring that up that if you're listening to this podcast and um, and you are offered ketamine at a, in a recreational setting, be very careful with that medicine. It is a uh, it is something that can can get out of hand. Um, doesn't have that effect typically in the in the medical environment, but um, it can recreationally. So just something to be aware of. So Matt, is that legal everywhere, or are there yeah. some places where it is illegal? No, all fifty states. Ketamine has been FDA approved since the since nineteen seventy, I believe. Um, it just and then started to be used for mental health. I think as early as nineteen seventy four, and it's just gained popularity over the last few years. We've seen a rise in the amount of ketamine clinics and telehealth ketamine providers out there. Um, but yeah, anywhere, anyone in the United States can have access to ketamine. And that's one of the things that makes that particular psychedelic, um, even if it's not a classic psychedelic, um, popular. So you can do it legally, unlike psilocybin or MDMA, which again, the FDA has given breakthrough therapy designation to both of them. Um, and we do expect MDMA to be legal here within the next two years and psilocybin shortly thereafter, but it's not legal today. So if you don't get into a clinical study, you have to travel to uh, to another country to do that legally, or you go into the underground market, and that has its own set of challenges. And so is it true that most people or many people don't know about ketamine? I think so. I think people have heard about it as a anesthesia, um, but they haven't heard about it for depression and anxiety. Um, we in, in the in the academic space, it's it's... Again, there's a ton of literature. Anyone who's curious about this, go to maybe PubMed and type in ketamine for depression. And you'll see lots and lots of research papers on on ketamine for that use or ketamine for anxiety would be another one. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I just don't think it's widely known. Even in the doctor community, it's not widely known. That's interesting. And how quickly does it help someone to change their mood or how they're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really a powerful medicine. So again, if, you, if you're, sometimes there's a little bit of a dial-in period. Um, and what they recommend, the best practice is you do roughly six sessions within about a month um, to kind of get it into your system. And then from then, from that point, Maybe it's once every two weeks or once every month or once every quarter, but it's not every day like a, uh, an antidepressant. Um, what is, and once the dose is established or for, especially if you go in, um, well, once the dose is established, you can feel results within 10 minutes, within hours. It's kind of, it's incredible. It's one of the only medicines that doctors have available. If someone is at, in an active suicidal state, they can give them a, uh, an IV of, ketamine and, and knock them out of that state which is kind of incredible so it's, it's, incredible. it's a powerful medicine it's not six weeks to uh to get into your system and do you still take this medicine yourself i do use ketamine um i don't use it every week but about once a quarter for me i will do a tune-up on ketamine to uh to just kind of balance out the system and how about other psychedelics you talk about them in your book what do you have to say about some of the other popular psychedelics that are out there? I think what, what I'd love your listeners to know is that there are 309 academic institutions studying psychedelics, and they're studying them because the results 
are pretty, pretty phenomenal. And I'm not saying to take my word for it. Again, Google whichever psychedelic you're thinking about and whatever, um, for whatever condition you're thinking about and see what studies come up. But uh, the FDA has given breakthrough therapy designation to MDMA. I'll talk about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. MAPS has just finished the phase three clinical trials for MDMA. And this is, this is incredible, Bruce. Um, they were working with treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. So picture mm-hmm. veterans, first responders, victims of sexual assault. People where none of the existing therapeutics have worked for them. Talk therapy hasn't worked. The electro, any of the, the different uh, the medicines um, or techniques have not worked. They've given them talk therapy and three sessions of MDMA and 67% no longer qualify as having PTSD. It's an incredible number for people who thought mm-hmm. there's nothing was going to work for them. So super excited to see that uh, on the path for relegalization. Um, but it took over $100 million and I think 20 years, 25 years to, to, to make this happen. Um, psilocybin, groups like Johns Hopkins is studying this with uh, end-of-life uh, terminal patients. There's mm-hmm. other studies for things like alcohol, eating disorders, OCD. And again, the results are just incredible. Um, we are seeing a movement in our country where people who have terminal illnesses are trying to, because you can grow psilocybin yourself. So they are mm-hmm. they are doing things like that. Um, and that's certainly in the scale, in the range, things that are easy to get relatively, I mean, mushrooms grow in every continent except, except Antarctica out in the wild. So people can, can also find them themselves. Um, but it's just, again, I, I feel it's a shame that people can have um, a marketplace where they can buy this easily. But it's, I mean, granted, just, just powerful, powerful um, things being done. Everything from if you want to take the medical world um, or for spiritual growth. Okay, and let's talk about negative experiences that people have had with some of these some of these psychedelics how do you avoid that yeah so i think the difference with with any between a medicine and a poison is is dose um what's amazing about psychedelics which again i did not know until i got into this is if you look at the harm to self or harm to others profile of different drugs dr nutt out of i believe imperial college in london did this study on the far end of the spectrum are things like alcohol, great harm to yourself, great harm to others. Um, heroin's on that side. Tobacco's up on the far left-hand side. On the far right, like one twentieth of the harm to self and others are things like psilocybin mushrooms. So can people have very challenging experiences on mushrooms? Of course they can. Um, and we can do all sorts of things to mitigate that, to make the probability less. Um, but like any medicine, sure. The problem, but the statistically, you're going to have less harm to yourself, less harm to others using things like psilocybin mushrooms and MDMA than you are using tobacco and uh, and alcohol, which is legal. So the the scheduling of of drugs in our country was not really based on science; it's based on politics. Interesting. So you've written the book that we've talked about already, the book called Psychedelics for Everyone, 
A Beginner's Guide to These Powerful Medicines. So do you help people who want to go on a journey with some of these psychedelics? Do you yeah, do that kind of thing? I don't personally do that. So I, I see my role as, as helping to get some information out there in a way that's digestible. So even the mm-hmm. title, Psychedelics for Everyone, I, I meant that to be catchy, but I certainly don't mean that everybody should take a psychedelic. But I do think it's important that people read this book and understand how they can help our society. And that can change how they vote. That can change how they talk about mental health. can change how they think about mindfulness and spirituality. Um, it can do a lot of good for the world to just be, be more informed about what psychedelic medicine is. So I, that's really what I'm trying to do is get the word out, not convince anybody to do anything, but just get information into people and let them make their own decisions. Yeah, so my question is, who should not take psychedelics? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there's there's two answers to that. There is the, what the research has been done. So if you think about how hard it has been to research psychedelics, they've really tried to go for kind of a mainstream population. So they, they screen people out who have any history of schizophrenia or bipolar and, and even one degree of separation. So a parent would get somebody excluded from a clinical trial. Um, not a lot of research on autism as an, another example. Um, this, this, so if you're looking for data to determine whether you should participate using a psychedelic, um, those are things to keep in mind. If you go into the citizen scientist community, you go into the Reddit boards and say, okay, I'm bipolar and interested in psychedelics you'll find lots and lots of people who are bipolar and using psychedelics and there'll be advice. Oh, okay. Just don't do it when you're in a, uh, a manic state. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Again, I'm not saying for someone who's bipolar to use psychedelics. I'm just saying that's where the information that's available is. Um, we also should separate large dose or macro dose psychedelics, which is what a lot of these studies are on where you're taking I don't know if you're doing psilocybin, five grams of psilocybin as an example, and then uh, microdosing, where you're taking a tenth to a twentieth of a dose, and that's very different. The 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 population that can do uh, that type of um, uh, experience is, is is much greater because it's a again it's a, a very small amount of that that medicine. Um, but again, if, so if you have uh, a history of of mental illness in the family, definitely talk with your doctor, talk with a professional about whether this is a good fit for you. If you're taking different existing prescription medications or supplements, again, talk with a doctor or, or, or experienced facilitator on whether it's a good fit for you. Um, but that information is out there. Um, one other, just I'll just I'll give one shout out here. There's a, there's a doctor out there called the Spirit Pharmacist, um, Dr. Ben Malcolm, who's a PharmD, and he all, he does consultations with anybody across the country. So he's not selling you anything. He's just purely providing information. Um, and he will look at your history, look at your medications, and talk to you about what psychedelics might or might not be a good fit. Um, with, again, no interest to help you actually procure the medicine or do a journey. He's just trying to make sure that what we know um, in the science world is given to you. Uh, and, and get based on your specific circumstances. So I, I think the work that he does, there's a few other people like him that do that type of consult um, who really specialize in psychopharmacology are, uh, are really doing good work. 
Mm, interesting. Well, you took this and you had good results, but why else are you so passionate about sharing the information and spreading the word? So this was the rabbit hole I did not expect. Um, I didn't understand all the different implications of that that t- touch on psychedelics. I didn't understand that these aren't magic pills, that they are um, they're mind openers, heart openers, and that can help, well, I'll speak in the first person, they help me remember that life wasn't always like the, the life I've built. Um, and I didn't understand that the war on drugs that I had lived my entire life in a prohibition, just didn't understand it. I didn't understand that uh, the people who were using this for religious purposes had sincere religious beliefs. And, and I, did, I just didn't know. Um, and I can go on and on over this, but what I, I think there's a lot of people like me who have just grown up in our culture, followed the rules, believed what we were told, and um, yeah, and I find it I find it somewhat upsetting that the science that the 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 what doctors and scientists and journalists and our government and teachers told me for 50 years wasn't the truth. And uh, so you feel like we've been deceived. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and this is a direct experience medicine. This is your, your inner knowledge, your inner, um, now you get to have a direct experience and then decide what you want to do with this medicine. And, uh, I think people should have the option as adults to have that experience for whatever reason brought them there. They can come on the medical route. Great. And if they want to go see a doctor and get prescribed ketamine or get into a clinical trial, that's beautiful. But if they want to come and if they want to go in the decriminalization route and they want to approach it and plants should be legal because they are plants, they're provided in Mother Nature, I respect that. And whatever reason they want to use their medicine for that purpose, that's great. And if they want to come to it because they do have a religious belief or are curious about exploring their religious beliefs, they should be allowed to do that, especially in this country if that was founded on religious freedom. And uh, I just didn't know that all these paths existed to this medicine. Why do you think that governments have put so much effort into convincing people to stay away from these? I think a lot of reasons. So we know the Nixon administration, I mean, what they've talked about um, very publicly post, uh, uh, post him leaving office was they were trying to break up the anti-war left and then the black civil rights movement. And they felt that by coming down on creating drug laws was a way to infiltrate those groups and to, uh, and, and to change policy. Um, so that's, that's certainly one reason. Another reason is this is not a, uh, these sometimes people choose a less conventional path for their future after a psychedelic experience. And the, the conspiracy side of me says, the new conspiracy side, because I didn't have this five years ago, is like, okay, well, maybe that's not what the government or some of the religious institutions want uh, or what big pharma wants. Um, and then there's the, uh, there's the monetary. This is not a, something you do every day. For many people, you do it once in your life. So it's not very easy to make money off of this versus the um, industrial perspective prescription uh complex that we have today so i think there's a lot of um and and also compared to alcohol and uh, tobacco this is this those are altered states that widely accepted in our culture 
and they're not very interested in in another form of uh, a way for people to alter their states coming out. So I think there's a number of reasons why people uh, are against this coming forward. And again, I'm just trying to spread the word that every individual should uh, make this decision for themselves and not necessarily just accept what they've been told. And how do some of these substances help people who suffer from addictions? Yeah, that's a really good question, Bruce, because it's kind of counterintuitive. Oh, someone's addicted to heroin. We're going to give them Ibogaine. Um, and so that there's a anyone interested in this subject, that the work of Gabor Mate out of Canada is yeah. really phenomenal. And he, he's got this, this the wisdom of trauma concept, which is all... Um, all addictions, whether it's to a substance or to gambling or to pornography or to work or to uh, relationships, comes from trauma. Um, and that trauma is, uh, has, has a root somewhere in your history. The idea or the theory is that psychedelics help you explore those traumas and look back upon things that happen in your life without shame, blame, or guilt. And when you can do that, you can heal those at the core, at the root, at the cause. And with those healings, you can then change your uh, lifestyle moving forward. Can you share with us a, a real life experience of someone that you know that has embraced the use of these substances and moved to a more positive place? Oh, I, I, get, the, I get the joy of seeing that regularly through these... Uh, different um retreats that i participate in um I, I, i'll just go with i'll tell a story from my past um can mm -hmm. as, as a uh i'll tell two stories my mom died when she was 49 i was 22 and um and i went about the rest of my life just kind of missing her having this big hole where she was got married missed her had kids and missed her just moved forward and in that first psychedelic experience, she was there. I could connect with her and pull her kind of through me to my kids, see that connection and realized, oh my gosh, she's not gone. She's just in this other place. Um, and I don't have to miss her. I'm carrying her forward. There's a part of her in me. There's a part of her in my kids. Um, that was beautiful. And I felt incredibly safe and loved and then realized, oh my gosh, here I am in my mid forties and I don't normally feel safe and loved. Not like I did on the medicine. Mm -hmm. And and then that was, well, why? What am I doing with my life? What am I worried about? What am I afraid of? And those questions are the ones that is, are the work to look at that after the psychedelic experience um, and be more aware of, I can be here now. I don't have to do anything to be worthy of love and to be, um, yeah, to be whole. Huge, huge difference in the way I looked at the world. The other example, a uh, later experience was, um, so I'd had in early teenage years um, some inappropriate uh, sexual contact with a family member 10 years older. And I was mm -hmm. mortified about this experience didn't talk to anybody when even when certain jokes would be made or things i'd feel my cheeks getting red a pit in my stomach on a psychedelic journey i was right back in that situation 
and um, and they tell you to if you see something you don't like or you're afraid of to ask it what are you here to teach me not to mm -hmm. run away from it but to, to go for it so I was able to, to spend some time there and to look at this person not as a, a person who did something to me um, and not having to condone what happened but I could look at her as a human and say okay wow what a tough life she was having at that moment she was struggling with uh, substance use challenges she had essentially been rejected from her father she had had challenges with her siblings a lot was not going on for her awful decisions that she made but um but i could understand it i could understand that desire to feel love to feel affection to feel um yeah i could understand it and i could forgive it i could let it this is not that was not mine to carry and after well over 30 years it was able to go away and now I can talk about it and I can move on. Um, and I didn't even realize that I didn't until the weight was lifted. I didn't realize how heavy it was that I was carrying. Um, yeah, super, super powerful. And I can, I mean, I can a thousand of those stories I have now seen over the last five years with just people in this and their journeys with this. Um, the journeys can be hard. Like that was hard, but they can be, incredibly powerful too wow what a story that's incredible wow do you have any kind of story about bullying where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference or just some insight yeah i definitely do um so it's interesting so the the, the school that i subscribe to is uh is we're 100 percent accountable for everything so if there's a bully in my life, I put that bully there. Um, that's something to do with the way I'm interacting. No one's doing anything to me. I've created it all. Um, so again, over the last few years, I've seen some bullying behavior from certain individuals. <clears throat> and my, what this medicine has forced me to do is, is look at that and say, what is really happening? Why am I allowing myself to interact with this person? Or how am I interacting with this person? And then what do I need to do to change that interaction? Um, and to do so in a way that is not, um, again, not from a victim perspective. So I can say, and I can think of a couple examples here where it's like, mm, this is not, I appreciate what you're trying to teach me and I've recreated, um, I'm thinking of an older gentleman who I, I felt bullied from. Um, I recreated in many ways my father who was an alcoholic who was an older person who would have these one moment, everything's fine. The next moment would be a fit of rage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I found another older gentleman who fit that role and it was an unstable role. And I was able eventually to come to the conclusion of, okay, I don't need this anymore. I, I can see it. I can recognize that this is a pattern. He's not the first person I've put in my life that has this behavior pattern. And, um, I can say, thank you for the lessons and I can move on. And I think recognizing that will help me or has helped me avoid situations like that in the future. Does that, does that resonate with you, Bruce? Yeah, that does resonate with me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. And the first one, Matt, is about uh, someone who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life. 
Yeah, that's um, that's a good question as well. Um, I got a bunch of them. I I had a uh, a friend's mom growing up who was just um, so kind, so present, um, and just always made always uh always there. Um, I never felt like I was taking her away from something else. And I look at I look at my interactions with my my kids and my wife, and I haven't always been that person by any stretch. Um, I've not been very present. I've been oh, I've got to work in this deal. I've got to work in this thing for business. I've got to work. Many many things that kept me away. She was a good she was a good role model of Mm-mm. when you're together, you're together, mm-hmm. and that stuff can wait till when you're not together. So uh, she's right. Yeah. So I guess my uh, my great friend from high school's mom is who I'm thinking of. Awesome. Tell us about how mindfulness has helped you deal with your emotions in a different way. I had never heard that uh, emotions are um, are feedback. They're unrealized thoughts. Or they, they, and many times they are thoughts that I haven't fully been formed. So yes, if I see a tiger in the jungle, I know that tiger's going to eat me. I can be scared. That's that's type of emotion. But a lot of times, like you're, we talk about having a gut feeling. What is that? That's something. That's a thought that uh, that's trying to express itself and just can't do it through a traditional way. Um, so mindfulness has helped me. Sorry, mindfulness in this path has been okay. Be aware. Don't need to. All of the feelings are good. The whole spectrum is here to teach me something and I can embrace it. I don't need to suppress any of it and I need to listen to it more. Um, and I need to be aware of it. What there's, it's working for me somehow. We've evolved over all these millions of years to, um, to have these feelings. It's working for us. Um, and I've, I was told as, and maybe it's a, my generation and being a man, it's like, Oh no, tuck that away. That's not okay. Mm-mm. Yeah. Not true. Yeah. Those are here for a reason. They're our allies. They're working for us. Embrace them. I totally agree. Yeah. My next question is about breathing. Do you have a uh, comment or idea about breathing and how that helps you as far as mindfulness is concerned? Yeah, again, it's, it's, you're hitting all the top topics here. It's, it's, uh, I wasn't aware of my breath. I wasn't aware of how powerful that, that and how automated our breath is and that when i focus on my breath just that simple thing it's it's a uh, it's easy to calm down and it's easy to become present um so when i'm angry let me just breathe through this for a minute and allow allow this to process take some time to think versus just reacting um, when i'm starting the day can i just focus on the breath and just remind myself just be aware and be here and even 10, 20 minutes of that in the morning can change the rest of the day. Um, so the breath is such a simple, such a simple thing to focus on. But uh, but also as those of us who practice meditation know, it can be also hard to still to stay focused because thoughts come floating by constantly to, uh, to interrupt that. Yeah. Matt, you have a terrific book, Psychedelics for Everyone. But are there any other books that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? Um, absolutely. I love the, the, um, oh my gosh. just, um, the end of your world. Um, I think okay. it's a beautiful book that's more in spiritual awakening, which, but ties into, into mindfulness. Um, the Stephen Cope book, um, 
The Wisdom of Yoga, I think, is a fantastic book for uh, for mindfulness practice. Very interesting. The Wisdom of Yoga. Yoga. Stephen Cope. Very good. Okay, we'll put all of that into our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So, Mindful Tribe, you can check that out. The End of Your World and the other book, The Wisdom of Yoga. And are there any apps that you would recommend that can help with mindfulness? So I do have a, I can do my shameless plug for take2minutes.org. It's a nonprofit that I helped uh, start. But uh, really, Mark Fassell is the uh, the genius behind it. But that's free. Um, and it's it's a... Uh, a text-based service. So we, we, he built it really for his, uh, his high school son as a way to send him kind of daily affirmations and then build out from there to the point now where um, you can get free meditations every day. You can write it. Send me a sleep meditation in a woman's voice with ocean's waves. Just send a text and it'll send you a sleep meditation with a uh, woman's voice and ocean waves. Super, super smart on what it can do and has a whole bunch of mindfulness activities and then also uh, gratitude journals and other things that are, are really focused on uh, on the on the positive psychology psychology realm so all evidence-backed um, techniques so I, I love that one and it's free so uh, I'll go with that one for today awesome very good well as we move toward the end of the podcast I want to ask you if you have any final words of wisdom for our mindful tribe listeners it is. I love that you have a mindful tribe. I think the people who are listening to you, Bruce, are already um, deep into this path and, and trying to increase their awareness and increase presence. Um, the connection to psychedelics for me is I was I was not a great meditator at all before psychedelic medicine. Um, and I think for me, being shown what's possible, what does it mean to be fully present, fully in connection with this uh, with the universe has helped me in non-psychedelic states really drop in. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a, uh, quite the journey. I think meditators, um, I think you have an unfair advantage when it comes to psychedelic medicine, because you already have been, you've been practicing many of the techniques that, uh, the, the ceremonial leaders and facilitators and medical communities teaching the newbies, which is you have to be present. You have to surrender. Um, to uh, the, the breathing through difficult um, situations, all of that. I think meditators have a, uh, yeah, kind of an unfair advantage. Uh, well, it's been really great having you on the show, Matt. Thank you so much for being part of Mindfulness Mode. Bruce, I appreciate the work you do, and I appreciate you having a, uh, a tribe of people, that a community that's, that's, that's all into this together. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye now. Thank you. Hey, Mindful Tribe, want to get better sleep? Want to be more relaxed? Want to build your immune system? Well, my sponsor, Athletic Greens, has a product that you might just really love. And I know I do. It's called AG1. It contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, and probiotics. And it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial ingredients. You mix it with water, and it, it like I said, supports better sleep and better alertness as well. And Athletic Greens uses the best products based on the latest science and it costs less than three 
$5 a day. So if you're interested in this Mindful Tribe, here is a special offer just for you. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com mindfulness. So with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.